This message is brought to you by danmolerarchive.com, the number one place to search over 2,500 Dan Moeller messages and growing. Now, please enjoy this message. Good works. So many times we get the idea in church that we're just here to make it, for God to bless us, to do good things for us, to protect us, to provide for us. But yet the whole purpose of gathering is to stir one another up this way in love and good works. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So what we do is we receive from him through his son and what he's done through the cross, a new fresh identity, a new fresh perspective, and then we begin to live in that truth which starts to go this way. Are you following what I'm saying here? It's very important that we understand this. Uh, yeah, I, I believe one of the most tragic things is, is when good people, good sincere people that see their need for a savior and believe the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross, that they had sinned and need a savior and forgiveness, miss the greater point of becoming this way in their life where they love one another. Man, it's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to become forgiveness. It's one thing to obtain mercy. It's another thing to become merciful. Why would we actually want something from him that we're not willing to become? Jesus never said, sing to me and pray to me when you're overwhelmed. He said, follow me. And then he gave us the person of Holy Spirit to empower us and make that possible. It's a pretty big deal to me. It's exciting. In Matthew 18, there was a man that couldn't pay back the debt he owed the master. And the master was gonna have him and his whole family sold. And the man cried out and pleaded to have mercy on him. And the master had compassion in his heart. It's Matthew 18. And he had compassion on the servant. And it said that he relieved him of his debt and forgave him of everything he owed. Do you guys understand that that's a type and shadow? That's symbolic. That's a parable that's pointing to what was about to happen through the cross of Jesus Christ. That the Lamb of God was here to take away the sins of men. That guilty men could go free through the blood because of repentance in their heart. Do you understand that when you desire change and wish you didn't do what you did, your heart has turned and you're not the one that did it through the blood in the sight of God when repentance comes. It's actually an amazing gift from the Lord. God says in his word in Timothy that God might grant repentance. It's just powerful to give us, because you can't change where you've been. You can't change what you've done. You can't go back and rewrite the script, but who you are can change. And that's a major, major, major goal of the gospel. Yeah? Does it make sense to your heart? So... Let's just, let's just do it this way. When, when I come to Jesus, what this baptism is all about. We, I wasn't planning on a water baptism. Wiley, he knew Esther had never been baptized and wanted to be. And we, we have a history and I love those guys the best I know them. They're so precious and they thought it would be cool if we do it this weekend and then thought, well, why not open it up to whoever? Uh, not trying to violate anything you're part of, anything. I had two young girls that were getting baptized. We slept on it. That's what she told me. Where is she? Where's the, where is she? There she is. She said, we slept on it. And then we talked about it. And we asked our parents. And they said, okay. Sweetest thing. So sincere. 12 years old. 
I'm like, that's amazing. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get tricked into thinking, man, I wish I saw what I see now when I was that age. But what I understand is God's a redeemer and he lets my life be lived. It feels like I've always seen this. So I don't think I'm trying to make up for lost time. I think he's redemption himself. I think he makes the most of the moment. And I think we can bear a ton of fruit no matter what age we are when we get understanding. Just listen to my heart carefully. The whole reason we're to gather ourselves together is to stir one another in loving good works. How many times do we get tricked into just a dutiful mentality, works to the Lord, service to the Lord, or getting the blessing of the Lord? Sometimes we come to a special service, a guest speaker, and we have an eye, man, I'm going to go and see what God does, or I'm going to go in faith to receive this or that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but what I'm saying is there's a higher priority. We're not here to see what God can do for us. We're here to be empowered to reveal him and convey him and be more like him in our everyday lives. And if we miss that, we miss a reason for grace in our life. And we miss a reason for why he came. He came that you and I would walk in love and be love and walk in mercy and show forgiveness. Matthew 18, I'll finish this story. I didn't know that I was to maybe go there and I just was waiting and I'm feeling like I need to just finish that. He said to the man, I forgive you of all you've done. It's a sign of the gospel. Who knows he's the lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. Who knows that we talked about it today, question and answer about righteousness and the power of it. And some people say, well, that's presumptuous. Who are you to say that? I didn't say that. He said that. He said that we're righteous. He said we're the righteousness of God in Christ. He wrote to the saints of Ephesus and Philippi. And he's amazing. God's amazing. He doesn't see us for where we've been. He sees us through his son. That's designed to humble our hearts. So the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Not the mandate of God, not the reprimand of God. I've heard a lot of people in my life say, well, brother, it ain't all about the love of God. It's about the judgment of God too. I don't, you can't show me one scripture that says the judgment of God transforms a man. You can't, but I can show you scriptures that says the goodness of God does. See, the goodness of God isn't here to empower me to sin. It's here to take me away from it and to erase it and remove it. The goodness of God is here to touch me that when I know I don't deserve this kind of mercy, he gives it anyway. And all of a sudden I realize, oh my goodness, what a love. Come on, we call it the parable of, of, of the prodigal son and we make it all about a son who was lost. Wonder if it's the parable of an amazing father and it's a sign of who he is. Because without the father, you don't even have a cool story. You just have a boy that made a mistake and has no answer. But when you bring the father into the prodigal son, now you have an amazing story. Because he has redemption at the end of the story. And he has restoration. And all of a sudden, he's living as if he lost nothing. And he's restored. That's the gospel. Redemption. The word redemption literally means brought back, bought back to original value. It's amazing. I I mean, I'm not saying you never heard it, but in my Christian life growing up, Nobody ever told me these things. Nobody ever said that Jesus died on a cross because he saw my potential purpose and destiny and knew what my life could be when he was inside me. 
They always just said he died on the cross because I was a mess and always going to be a mess and I sinned and he had to die. So I'd watch the Easter story rendition of the cross and it actually feel better in my heart because I felt like, why would he do that for me? Did anybody ever say, I wonder, I don't even understand how Jesus can love me. Why? Because you value yourself based on your own life experience and resume. He values you on purpose, potential, and destiny. He knows what he created you to be. He knows what's possible. He knows what your life looks like when he's in you and you're surrendered. Yeah? And he believes it's worth paying for. See, growing up, if I'd have talked like this, people would have got nervous and concerned. And now that I'm grown up, people can still get nervous and concerned because we miss the point. He didn't just die on the cross because we're sinners. He had to die because we sinned. But he wants to get us out of sin and take away the sin of the world and remove us from that past thing and put new life inside of us so that we put off the old man and put on the new man. It's scriptural. It's amazing. And we get so gripped by how we've been and how we think we're going to be. And I think we already sometimes get tricked into writing out tomorrow and think, well, I'll be pleading the blood before long. And all of a sudden we're set up to fail. And when you fail, you believe you're a failure. And all of a sudden your idea of who you are and what you are has nothing to do with what he's done and who he is inside of you. Please don't be tricked into that. God comes to this man and he says, I relieve you of all you owe me. And the guy was like, whoa, I got saved in 95. So somewhere between 95 and 97, the talents and the denarii that's in that story in Matthew 18, in that day's currency in 95 to 97, it was somewhere right in there. I think it was about 96 or seven. The Bible currency that's listed there in today's value. I don't know about 2019, but in 96, 97, I haven't looked at it since. It was about $19 million of debt that was forgiven versus $500 that he choked his brother and put him in prison. Now you think with me of that parable. This like makes me wanna cry. God's trying to speak to us. He forgives the guy of everything. And the guy has a brother that owes him 500 bucks. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And he says, I can, I need time. I can't. You should have it. You should pay me by now. And the guy wouldn't forgive him. And it said he had him shut up in prison. We grieved the fellow servants and they went and told the master, are you guys familiar with this? Do you need me to read it out of the Bible or am I on track? Okay. He, he, word gets to the master and the master's, he's like, what? He comes to the guy. Guess what he says to the guy? He says, you evil and wicked servant. Watch, I forgave you of everything you owed me. Should you not have forgiven your brother what he owed you. He didn't even bring up the amount and, and harp on that. He just shared principle. What's God trying to say through that parable? I don't forgive you just so you're forgiven. I forgive you so you're so touched by the forgiveness that you see the salvation in it, the beauty in it, the freedom in it, that you yourself become the same thing. What, what's the big deal if we're all forgiven and our hearts are shut up towards one another? What is it, the big deal if we've all received mercy from God and we can't afford mercy to each other? 
We're missing the point if that happens. One of the reasons for this baptism is so when you get in the water, you die in the likeness of his death and you give up everything you've ever been so all that he is can come alive on the inside of you. And all of a sudden, you're not just here to sing to him and you're not just here to pray to him if you're overwhelmed. You're here to follow him because he invited you to do that. The Bible says he's firstborn among many brethren. It says in Romans 8, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Man, these scriptures I found in my Bible. Jesus said, if you believe in me, the things I do, you'll do. You say, well, that was the disciples. No, in Matthew 28, he said, go make disciples and teach them to observe everything I taught you. Not some of the things I taught you, everything I taught you. Man, if he's talking to them, he's talking to me. And I'm excited about that. Trying to play it a little calm. I know you're having a hard time thinking I'm excited, but I am. (laughs) I know one thing, my friend. I used to live with me when I didn't know him. And now I get to live with him and know him and live with me in him. And it's a whole different world. You come out of darkness and into the light. You put off the old man and his deeds. And you put on the new man, Colossians 3.10, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created you. It's Bible. I read it. It's there. It has to be possible. Yay. Well, brother, you're thinking more highly than, no, I'm saying what he says. I'm not going out of bounds at all. If he says he loves me, it's not humility to say he can't. It's called unbelief. (laughs) Oops. If he says he's for me and not against me, it's not humility to say he's out to get me. He said, you evil and wicked servant. I forgave you of everything. Should you not have done the same? What's that tell us? That he doesn't do anything just so you receive it. He does it so you become it. Because that's how he's multiplied. And if a seed would die and fall to the ground, it'll spring up and bear much fruit. If that seed never dies, it abides alone. It doesn't say the seed doesn't go to church. You go to church the rest of your life and live for yourself. You can get tricked into being a Christian for your own gain. People that do that get frustrated, have periods of discouragement, get mad at God for seasons, and call it normal. It's not normal, friend. It's deception. You're called to walk in the light as he's in the light. The day of the righteous grow brighter and brighter. We go from faith to faith and glory to glory. We're closer now than we've ever been. Yeah, redeem the times. The days are evil. Arise, you who sleep, and let him give you light. They're all scriptures. I read them. They all have the same message. That's why we do this water baptism. I want you to see something with me. I'm so excited about it. If you have a Bible, look in Romans 6. If you don't, I'll just read. This way you really feel safe because I'm not even quoting. I'm just reading. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Yep. God, you're good. Guys, this is good news. Like, look, I'm not trying to be strange and weird. I'm not trying to pull your emotional teeth. I'm not trying to get a reaction out of you. I'm not saying, well, if you're saved, you ought to let your face show it. And I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, like, like I had people say, I heard people say, hey, you know, man, if you're full of joy, you ought to probably inform your face. And they're, they're, they're actually being sarcastic because people are long-faced. But what I've observed over 24 years of salvation there is not a whole lot of joy in the body of Christ. There's not a whole lot of joy. I'm not being mean and judgmental. I don't perceive a whole lot of joy in the room right now. I'm just being honest. Some people might be here just trying to figure me out. That's a shame. You're not here to figure me out. Come on, stop that. I don't even know if you have permission really to do that under those terms. Well, I'm just God's watchman on the wall. Self-appointed. Because the stuff you don't agree with, you get mad at, and then you get mad at people, and then you write your anger about people. That's a giveaway. You don't know the Lord. You probably should chill. I honestly don't see a lot of joy in people. I see life deciding how we're doing. I see what's going on and what we're going through decide how we're doing. I don't honestly see who he is in us deciding how we're doing. I see life speaking way louder than truth in a lot of situations. And that's a shame because it's truth that makes you free, not life. Life comes from him. He said truth makes you free. What is truth? Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus, the truth, not a, the. Yay. Look, I'm not being mean and judgmental. I don't perceive a lot of joy in people. And when you say, how are you doing? The usual answer is the two biggest challenges and keep us in prayer. Which reveals that we're only as good as it's going. And instead of as good as he is in me and why. Let's just set this straight because there's some new faces and people. All weekend we've been just camping on the same stuff. That the only reason he's in us is so we can really shine. He forgave us of everything we've ever done so that he can equip us and empower us through his righteous judgment to be what we're here in the first place to be, sons and daughters of God. You've been predestined before the foundation of the world to be adopted in. The lamb was slain before time was in the sense of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Whew. Sounds like this thing's always been on. We ought to, in all our getting, get understanding and study and show ourselves approved and live in the good news. The angel said in the shepherd's field, watching over the sheep when Jesus was born, Behold, I bring you of good tidings of, which means when you understand the good tidings, the response is great joy. That doesn't mean you have to go, but you sure got something to be joyful about. Good tidings of, and it shall be to. So our place is to become believers and understand what he's talking about. 
and not let church attendance, service within our churches, and the things we do to keep our churches rolling take the place of who we're called and created to be. Because all those things are important because you want to have a meeting place and bring people in to sharpen, train, and equip. So we're not against those things, but let's not let those things take the place of knowing him and who he is in us. Good tidings of... I'm just telling you, in my personal life, as a pastor involved with lots of people, I haven't perceived a lot of great joy. I've perceived a lot of people troubled by life, a lot of prayer requests. I don't like the way they're treating me. Why is God letting them? If he loved me, how come? And I see a lot of quandary and a lot of people almost dismayed. That means you can't have intimacy because you don't see him clear. Your face gets veiled even though it's to be unveiled. And all of a sudden, life is a louder voice than his love. Come on, that's just fair. I've heard countless people say, well, you don't know what I've been through. What about what he's been through? When does that ever matter? When does what he's been through decide how you're doing instead of what you've been through? When does who he is determine who I am? Whoa. Look, I don't care. I know I'm in a rural area. I know I'm out here somewhere. And I keep joking about it because I still really don't know where I'm at. I'm going to look on a map when I go home and just make sure you're here. Because <laughs> I'm somewhere. But you'll understand this no matter where you live. When you write the check for something, don't you believe what you're purchasing is worth the price or you wouldn't write the check? Aren't we two for one, buffet, all you can eat, 50% off? Don't you wait for the sale? Us guys, when we go to buy the car, we Kelly Blue Book the thing, man. It's worth 11.4, and he's got 10.8 on the window, and you still offer him 9.7. True? And when you buy the car, what do you believe? That what you paid for the car is well worth what you received as the purchased possession. The price you paid is well worth the purchased possession. Now, I've never had, and I'm not mad about this, I'm puzzled by this. I've never had a pastor, teacher, or Christian in my entire life tell me this until I saw it in the Word when I was 33 and was saved at 33. He shed his blood for me and we make it all about my sin instead of restoring my value and my purpose and we think it's heresy to talk that way because we have so taken the identity of sin and how we failed and we think that's what exalts him what exalts him is his ability to see you past that and know that your life is worth more <laughs> And if you don't receive that concept without you realizing that life will always speak louder than truth and you'll be doing as good as it's going. There's people in ministry, their identity is all wrapped up in ministry. What they do for the Lord is who they are in the Lord. It's a total lie. Pastors, if their church is happening, they're riding high. If things aren't going good, they need prayer. Marriages, if your spouse is going crazy on something you're shook to the core 
I'm saying, when does this need looked at and challenged and say, I think I need deeper roots. I think I need rooted and grounded in love. And let's stop letting things matter more than what matters most. Come on, be straight with me. Nobody pays a high price for nothing. That's the bottom line of what I'm trying to say. And he shed the blood of his son for you. How do you put a price tag on that? How do you take a vial of the blood of the Son of God and yard sale it? How do you put a price on the blood of the Son of God? It freaks me out to this day. I'm not afraid to talk to you. It freaks me out to this day that God was so intent on redeeming humanity that he'd become a man and fulfill what man failed to restore man back to why he's here. And if we're not careful, we'll misinterpret it and make it about him taking care of us instead of transforming us. And then you have discouraged Christians that go to church and they have reasons why. And all of a sudden, we're not even living for that day. The moment's deciding us. And you're only as good as it's going. And the whole time he's Lord. Don't you let that happen to you. Nobody pays a high price for nothing. Jesus had Holy Spirit put him inside. Who's around 14 here? 14? Yeah, a girl, I'm sorry. No, thanks guys, girl. Okay, theology, history, I don't know it to be true, suggests that Mary could have been as young as 14, but probably not older than 16. Could you stand up for me? 14 years old, isn't she precious? Give her a hand. Yay. Thanks. 14. Holy Spirit. Could you picture this? I don't know how it went down. S slain before the foundation of the world. This thing is all planned out, man. He wants to redeem humanity. He has a family called people. We teach he's got smoke coming out of his nose and he's ready to smote you. No, he had a lamb slain before it started. You got Mary over here looking so precious. Oh, and Jesus, you ready? See you, Father. I know you'll be with me. I'm going to go by faith. I'll trust it. Yeah, okay, Holy Spirit's going to take you. I don't know what it looked like. How does the Son of God turn into a little fetus? Fascinates me to this day. I'm not going to get over it. That God would do something so extreme because he had to come as a man and fulfill what man failed and fulfill the law of righteousness by fulfilling the law. That's why he said not one jot or tittle, not one t nothing will be taken from this law. I didn't come to remove it. I came to fulfill it. So as a man, he did everything to a T that we've all failed in. And then he got killed for being perfect, called guilty, and now guilty men come through his blood to be made clean. Ah! Oh! Yes, I'm excited, and I'm not going to try to calm down. He believes your life and my life is so worth redeeming that he would put himself inside the womb of a woman. Sit there for nine months and crockpot, like in nine months, like your little boy. You're coming up on it, girl. Better be soon, Lord Jesus. <laughs> nine months, and all of a sudden, he comes through her birth canal. 
must be serious about what he's doing. And we ought to make sure we don't miss the point and turn it into an Easter story or a sentimental Christmas thing. Let's understand that he believes his life given is with yours being restored. And honestly, get mad if you, if you choose, you find very little scripture that makes heaven the goal. It's not the goal. Transformation's the goal. He didn't die to take you to heaven. He died to get heaven back into you. What's the big deal if we're all going to heaven and we still got issues with one another? And we can't even eat in peace and we can't even agree to the point of anger. Like we disagree and now we're issues and we fight and we don't even want to talk and you're deceived and you're a hypocrite. Well, you're not going to heaven. I am. You're not. I've seen it my whole Christian life. It's tragic. And when you do that, you reveal you don't know him like you think. Because he ain't doing that. When everybody's wrong, he's going into the womb of a woman when everybody's wrong. Wow. You think he did that so we can get theological and over principles argue to the point of disdain? I don't think that's his goal. Everybody's wrong. And he puts himself in maybe a 14-year-old girl. That's incredible. Watch this. Bear with me, please. He must think a lot of what you're created to be and what's possible by his spirit. He must think a lot about what you can look like when you're yielded and surrendered. He must think putting light inside of you is worth it. He must think putting his ways inside of you is worth it. He must, or he's very lonely and needs a friend desperately. <laughs> and I don't think that's the case. <laughs> See, even the children understand that brings a giggle. <laughs> it's amazing how innocent kids are. I've had more fun than anybody knows this weekend looking into the faces of these kids. They're just sitting there. Hanging on every word. Adults struggle sometimes like crazy. And kids go, yeah. <laughs> I was in a church one night. It's a true story. I just got, I just went crazy. Just preached and forgot there was time. And I was preaching for two hours and 45 minutes and I don't remember breathing. And all of a sudden I looked at the clock. And it was 20 to 11. And I went, what? That clock was one of them cafeteria clocks. A big white face with the black letters. You can't miss it. It's the old cafeteria school clocks. They're there big for a reason. Boop. You... I thought the sound men took it down thinking we don't want him worrying about time. And then thought, hey, this ain't funny. And put it back up. <laughs> because I'm preaching all night. Two hours and 45 minutes. I'm just, ah, I told two passionate stories that were personal. People were weeping on the edge of the seat. And all, it was like time was standing still. What was funny at the end, you know it's God. You can hardly tell the story and expect people to relate because you weren't there. But people didn't even know if it was an hour. 
and, and I looked at the clock and I went, oh, is that the time? And people went, time, huh? And then you could hear the rumble. Like, like the pastor said, you have by far set the preaching record of our church and I believe it will stand. I said, not if you have me back. <laughs> I looked up and I says at the time, and there's a rumble and I went, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I said, I have to stop. A seven-year-old girl sitting right here leaped to her feet distressed and said, no. I said, no, no, honey, it's 20 till 11. I've been preaching for two hours and 45 minutes. The guy sitting here said, three hours and six minutes, I have it recorded on my cell phone. <laughs> Oops. Technology, sell you out every time. We got validation, three hours, six minutes. I got a, I said, how old are you? She said, seven. I said, honey, you're seven years old. I preached for three hours and six minutes, according to this man. He's gone. I said, you should be tapping your mom, saying, is this guy ever going to stop? I would like to go home here at some point. She said, oh, it made me weep. She said, oh, no, sir. I get so much out of what you say. Seven years old. And here we are so wise because we lived our lives. And a seven-year-old has no problem hearing because it doesn't have to come through nothing. Yeah. <laughs> seven. I get so much out of what you say. And I said, oh my goodness, serious? She went... I said, I think I'm going to keep on preaching. And she did some kind of whoop, whoop, you know, whatever thing they do. She did something. I ain't got no soul or rhythm. But she did it. And I said, no, no, I'm just kidding. And she went. And then she sat down. She was such a character. Next morning, I come into church. She came running up and said, hi. I said, hi, sweetie. Oh, my goodness, you blessed my heart. She said, she said, you know, seven years old. She said, what? She acknowledged her Sunday school class. She said, you know, nothing against my Sunday school class or my teacher. I really like it. But I don't want to go this morning. I said, no. She said, I want to stay up here and listen to you. So I got to teach her. Her parents would have appreciated it if they heard me. I said, okay, well, let me tell you what you do. Get your mom and dad together and tell them your heart. Ask them. Tell them your request. But here's what you have to understand, honey, at seven years old. Whenever you put your parents in a position to decide, you can't settle on your desire. You have to settle on their call. So if they don't tell you what you want to hear, don't you go, oh, but you say, okay, guys, thank you. That's called honoring your mother and your father. And she looked at me and went, and she took off. I thought, what a precious little girl. So I'm up there preaching in the morning. And I look, and there she is. <laughs> so she must have got the, instead of the. 
But you know how we do, kids? Mom, can I? Dad, can I? Well, honey, no. oh, but Probably not cool. The way you honor your mother and father, if you put them in a position where they have to answer, you have to honor their answer, period. That's called honor. That's called love. Yeah? Can I share a little side note about the girl's mama? I held them there three hours and six minutes. I said, let's pray for the sick. Can we have time? We're already here. we already blown up the night. You want to go for it? And they said, yeah. Uh, I'll probably get a little touchy with y'all on this. Maybe I don't know, but she was hurt in a car wreck, and she was really hurt for 15 years. 15 years, she was immobile in areas and couldn't do things. And we watched her body change. And I watched her lay on the floor for well over a half hour and sob and cry because she knew this was a different body than she carried around for 15 years, which is real. It cost her, and it probably wasn't fun. But God changed her that night. And that little girl said, my mama's healed, and she's crying. The girl came up and told me the whole story. It was a car wreck, 15 years. I read in my Bible, 18 years. I read in my Bible, 12 years. I read in my Bible, 38 years. We're not denying that it wasn't real. But man, God came and changed that thing. That's what he did for that mama of that little seven-year-old girl. It astounded me that you could preach for three hours and six minutes. And she leaped to her feet in front of everybody and go, no! <laughs> adults, adults, if you're not careful, thinking, whatever, would he ever just stop? I don't want to be rude, but I'm about to just go. Seven years old. It just blessed my heart. I want you to see something in Romans 6. We're going to do this baptism here real soon. At the end of Romans 5, Paul makes a comment. You have to understand it's one big letter. It's not chapters. We, for some reason, we put chapters in there. But just read it as one big letter. Because it's one letter. It's just a letter. So you don't read it out of context. One of the biggest mistakes teachers, us teachers and pastors and preachers and Bible study leaders make is we jump in and read scripture out of context. We'll, we'll start with the therefore and not even know what it's there for. Seriously, that's not a joke. The therefore means in light of what I just said. So if you don't read it in light of what was just said, you might misread what you read. Some of these things that people call cults out there and things and movements and they knock on your doors and push the envelope of that stuff and they have their little pamphlets. If you don't know the word, you read it. There's a power there. It's like a mesmerizer. like, wow, because it makes sense. Scripture, bam, bam, bam. And it's designed to grab you and wow. But if you know the word, you'll see what they're doing. They're taking five scriptures from five places, piecing them together to make a statement that in their own context, they're not saying. Like, it wouldn't be cool if you just took Scripture and pieced it to make Scripture out of pieces. You, you know, and Jesus, hang, or Judas, Judas hanged himself. Go and do there likewise. That wouldn't be good. <laughs> I'm just having fun with you. Lighten up. <laughs> I had some people in our church get a hold of some of this stuff, and they came crying. They said, you got to help us. 
and they were reading this pamphlet and I showed them where they just took everything out of context. I had a man at my front door. I said, man, I'm glad you're here. Nobody, no, I got nothing but love for you. I care for you. I said, talk to me a little. What, why are you here? Well, and he shared it. He's giving me his pamphlet. Something we call a movement out there, a circle. So we, most people say, it's a call. Well, he's a real guy. And one day he's going to stand before Jesus. He's not an offense to me. I don't have one thing in my heart that dislikes him. Not one thing in my heart. If I had something in my heart that dislikes him, I'm concerned about my heart. Hello? Don't get so used to first impressions that you think they're God. You don't read a book by the cover. That's why you never look deeper into the chapters of a person's life because you already judged them by the cover. The Bible says don't judge with outward appearance. Judge with righteous judgment. See a man for what he can be, what he's created to be. Go deeper and pull out the value in every person. Who's ever dug for a precious gem or stone and didn't get dirty on the way in there? Had to move some dirt to get there. Yeah? Come on, this stuff is simple. Man, be careful. You know how the Bible says avoid the appearance of evil? You know why the Bible says that? If it's just the appearance of evil, why do you have to avoid it? If it's not evil in itself, why do you have to avoid the appearance of evil? Because men will think evil. And guess what love does? Thinks no evil. So God's so humble, doesn't want us to stumble and knows what we'll do. Rather than be perfected in love, we'll think evil. So he said, hey guys, just avoid the appearance of evil. I don't want you to be a stumbling block to men. The only reason he tells you to avoid the appearance of evil because men will think evil. And love thinks no evil. Come on, this stuff is it's not rocket science. It's so simple. And we've almost all been trained to live that way because it's the way we've always been. We just think it's normal. But it doesn't produce life. It's always at the expense of others. So it can't be truth. This young man's on my porch and he's showing me his pamphlet. I've spent some time in the Word. I'm not being arrogant. I've spent some time in Scripture. I, I don't need to have it right in front of me. I've got a lot of stuff in the files of my heart. So when I read these scriptures, he didn't have where they're taken behind him. I just happened to know. And I said, do you know what's amazing about this pamphlet? He said, what? He's a very young man. It was two of them. And I said, you pulled, well, you didn't, but you're believing this, but you don't realize whoever wrote this pulled this scripture out of this chapter. And before this, it says this, and this is what it says. And then you piece this one in there. And in its original context, what it says is this. And I quoted like two, three verses and they're looking. And I said, and they pulled those five scriptures, pieced them to make a statement that apart from each other, they're not making at all. And you're going, wow, makes sense, but it's not the word. It's pieced together. And they were like, what? And they didn't even know what to do. And they got nervous. And I tend to get a little aggressive. I said, listen, you guys ain't even sure what you believe. Don't knock on anybody's doors till you understand what you believe. Don't go to my neighbors. Don't hand them. Don't. Go back and regroup, man. Look into what I'm telling you because I can see you're convicted. Don't. Okay. Okay. And they backed off the porch. I went right over my railing. I said, listen, guys, I talked to them halfway down the street. Not angry, just encouraging them to rethink some of this stuff. The next day, I got senior elders standing on my porch. 
senior elders. Hey, guys. Hey. I said, man, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to say I'm glad you're here because you're here to hear what I shared with them boys and, and want to hear my heart. But I said, honestly, I know why you're here. Because they were so shook when they got back. You wanted to hear what I said so you can better train them and prepare them to not be shook by a fellow like me. And they looked down and kind of got nervous. And I said, but while you're here, let's just, just talk. Come on in. I had them sit on my couch. We chatted. And you know what those boys were humble enough to do? They came to my home group on Saturday night and sat for the whole thing. They saw a word of knowledge. They saw a lady get healed and cry. They saw a lot of things in my home group. And then they got up and said, we got to go. And I said, awesome. I'm just glad you came. Thanks for your humility. I hugged them real big. They are not my enemy. I have nothing but love for those guys. I'd like to tell you that they kept coming or we talked further. Nope, I never saw them again. But this is kind of ironic. I still live in the same home. I have never since that day seen one of those fellas on my street. Nobody from their church. I don't know if I'm red X'd. I don't know. But I see them on other streets. They're never on my street. I'm not mad at them. I got nothing for love, but love with for them. And it's almost like they didn't know what to do with me. So as long as I'm living there, they just stay away. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But it's peculiar. But the five scriptures their whole pamphlet is based on have nothing to do with scripture that's written. It has to do with them writing their own. Are you with me? Be real careful with that stuff. You study, you show yourself approved. You get in the word of God. You understand that you can read the word of God. Not to qualify. You already qualified through Jesus. You read the word of God to know him. Amen. And to know truth. And you got one reason, not to substantiate your upbringing, your heritage, and the church you're a part of. You read the Bible to know Him. The screen you put on your eye decides what you'll see. So if you read to qualify things, that's what you'll see. I know people that read their Bible to get out of their marriage, and they're sure they found the Scriptures. They didn't read to find out how to become love, and how to not give up hope, and how to hold on. They read to get out, and they're sure they found the scriptures. Wow. Ain't that something? The eye. Jesus is so amazing. The eye is the lamp of the body. You can see what a man really sees by how a man really lives. If the eye is single... The whole body is flooded with light. It doesn't say unless, of course, your best friend just did you wrong. It says if you see clear, you'll be clear. The eye is the lamp of the body. But if the eye isn't single, if it's wide view lens, yeah, but, well, if... It says darkness encroaches. And it says if the, watch what it says. If the light, it's Matthew 6.22, it's Luke 11.35. It's there, you can check. It's there, verbatim. I've read the book. 
If the light in you is darkness, ain't that something? Sounds perverted. If the light in you is darkness, what's he saying? You're created for the light, but if it's not light, it's dark. And if it's dark, it's because your eye doesn't see clear. <laughs> we think we have issues. Maybe we don't have right perspective. Maybe our eye's not single. Maybe we're wide view lens. Yeah? Oh my. If the light in you is darkness, it says how great is that darkness? What's he saying? Just how twisted is your view? Just how off is your perspective? Which tells me it's so amazing that if my perspective gets changed by him, my life is already changing. Doesn't the Bible say if we see him as he is, we'll be like him? We, we can hardly talk about that among us. We, we talk about Jesus and people say, yeah, but that was Jesus. And all of a sudden we make him a special man that's unattainable to follow. He doesn't even want you to do that. It's not, he doesn't want you to make him a special man. When you say, yeah, but that was Jesus, we miss the point. No, that was love. <laughs> and that's what he called you to. You say, man, isn't Jesus amazing? He's hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, what, for, 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 forgive them for they know not what they do. And you say, man, isn't Jesus something? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, we need to walk. Yeah, but that was Jesus, man. That is not a compliment to him. He's going, you're missing the point. It's not, hey, that was Jesus. That's love. Man, could you picture Jesus carrying the cross to Golgotha? He's beat beyond description. You know that, right? You know Isaiah said that, that he was marred more than any of the sons of men. That when they were done beating him, you couldn't tell who he was because he was marred more than anybody ever was marred at the hands of men. Do you know people have done sadistic, barbaric things to each other? Do you know that people have mauled and, 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 and tore up and butchered each other? Do you know that people have burned people and, and drugged people for miles on chariots and burned people in oil? Do you know that when people were done with people, you couldn't tell if they were male or female? Do you know that? Well, he was marred more than any was ever marred. Why did it have to be so brutal? Why couldn't he just take 39 stripes, a couple stakes in the hand and feet, and shed a little blood and pay for humanity? Why? Because he made us to be something in the garden. And when sin got done with Adam in the garden, he didn't look nothing like he was created to be. He had lost his appearance and lost his identity. So Jesus had to come and lose his appearance to pay the price to get the truth back on his people. And you think I believe that and today I got people issues and he said, she said, well, I'm hurt. Well, why did you? Not today, friend. Tomorrow isn't working either. I've been set free from myself. Now I got the best look at you I've ever had. And you're worth the blood of his son. Marred more than any of the sons of men. So he ain't just carrying the cross. He is beat beyond recognition. And if you weren't there following from the beginning, you wouldn't even know who it is. You put somebody in time to a pole and put a bunch of wood underneath them and light that thing on fire. When the fire goes out, can you tell if they're male or female? 
marred more than we ought to get serious about this. <laughs> we pray for the sick and we think, oh, that's just too simple, brother. You can't, it can't be that simple. It's not simple. It cost him everything. It cost him everything. Can, can you picture Jesus <laughs> going to Golgotha? He's beat beyond description. They're spitting on him. They're spitting on him. They're kicking him. They're whacking him over and over. He, he, they got to bring Simon in and help him because he's running out of gas. But he's carrying that thing because it's his goal. He didn't come to not die. Don't think they had to force him on the cross and hold his hands down and pin him. He laid on that thing and let him do it. Don't you think he struggled? He came to die on the cross. Could you picture this? Jesus getting halfway up the hill and analytical thinking kicks in, thinking like you and I have been tricked into thinking, and all of a sudden Jesus goes, this is crazy, and he drops the cross. And this passion hits him and this supernatural burst of vigor comes upon his marked body. He says, you know what, God? I'm done. I ain't taking another step. This is crazy. What are we doing? They don't love us. They don't love me. How much good does a man have to do? Man, if they didn't change by now, they ain't going to change. Look at me. Look what they've done to me. Barabbas, are you kidding me? He killed a man. I raised the dead. He causes conspiracy. I'm trying to make peace. And they want to do this to me? No, I'm done. See, you say he can't do that. He couldn't say that because he's Jesus. No, he couldn't say that because he's love. Amen. Not because he's Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Because he's love. What makes God so amazing to me is that he's like no other. He's love. He ain't some wicked being that wants all power to rule the world. He has all power, and he gave his life to give us life. Oh, I love Jesus for that. <laughs> I've heard pastors say in my life, well, what proves that he loves us is he stayed on that cross. He could have come down if he wanted, but he stayed. How could he come down? There's no turning or shifting of shadow. Love doesn't fail. He's not sitting there changing his mind. You say, yeah, but he said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. What's he saying? If there's any other way than taking the beating of every man upon myself and going through this, if there's any other way to accomplish what we're doing, man, talk to me. But if not, we're here. Let's do it. He's not second guessing. There's no way he could come off the cross. Because he'll never change his mind. Because he knows you from the beginning. And you and you and you. Before you were known, he saw you. And predestined you before time. Are you all okay? Sorry, I'm a little fired up right now. I just... <laughs> he came into a 14-year-old girl. It's got me fired up. That is radical. That God would put himself in a woman. 
that she would run to tell Elizabeth. And John went, woo, in her womb when she heard, when he heard Mary's voice. As soon as you spoke, the baby within me leaped. That's amazing. <laughs> What's he doing in there? Sure, he's powerful. He's probably saying, hey, cuz. <laughs> Cousins. He said, me, baptize you. It's you that ought to baptize me. He said, permit it now, John. So all righteousness shall be fulfilled. And John baptized him, brought him out of the water. And what happened? Who knows what happened? Who? Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove and rested upon him. If he came as God, Holy Spirit's already on him. If he comes as a man, he needs empowered. We miss it all the time. We feel like we're defaming Jesus and stealing his deity. 1 John 4 says, the barometer of testing a spirit and knowing whether it's from God or not is if it fails to acknowledge Jesus coming in the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit doesn't want you to see the benefit of that and ever reap the fruit of what He accomplished. So He'd rather be as content just arguing over theology instead of living with transformed lives. And all of a sudden our opinions become God instead of the Lord. It's just true. I've been around it so much that it makes you want to cry. Because it doesn't have to be that way. And you're the one that decides if it's going to be. You have to decide what you do with this gospel. I'm trying to finish. I'm pretty emotional right now. At the end of Romans 5, he says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That tells you and me that we're living toward that day. We're living toward that day. So you can't let today decide that day. You've got to live every day knowing it's taking you to that day. You can't let what you're going through decide who you are and how you are. What he went through is the truth about you. You can't, honestly, watch this. There's no way around physical loss, true? Is it real? Yeah. But you can't even let physical loss hinder the momentum of why he's in you and why you're here. It's a sign to people. He said you don't grieve as if you have no hope. You have eternal life. It's never about death. It's always about life. He said, unless you love less the things most dear to you, and he reads off the list, you'll by no means be my disciple. And a lot of Christians become Christians for the well-being of that list. And he said, unless you love that list less, you'll never do what you're here for. Because something on that list will distract you, and you'll get hurt or forlorn or confused, and you'll back off and draw back. You'll grow weary in well-doing. You'll let adversity... Become your truth. Sin reigned in death. Well, then sin shouldn't reign now because we have life. Yeah? 
Come on, man. Don't you fight with that. There is so much scripture. Watch this. First Peter 2. He bore your sin and my sin in his body on a tree that we, having died to sin, might live in righteousness. Oh, that one gets people fired up. Well, we're always going to sin, brother. What are you saying? We never sin. We always sin. And we can't get off the sin topic and declare righteousness so that we can walk free as possible and let grace have its way. And all of a sudden, we're boasting in our ability to sin, calling it humility, and he might be calling it unbelief. He died on a cross bearing your sin and my sin in his body on a tree. Where's your sin and my sin? That we having died to sin. What's that mean? It's identity, it's sting, it's stain, it's desire, it's impulse. Stop being marked by it. How can you be righteous and sin at the same time? If he forgave you of all sin, 1 John 1, and cleansed you of all unrighteousness, how can you be unrighteous? It's so simple. We just get tricked into thinking we are where we've been. So we say, oh, you dummy. We talk to ourselves, oh, you dummy. Oh, you're so stupid. Oh, you'll never get it. Oh, what a jerk. You are such a jerk. Who knows I'm telling the truth. All of a sudden you fail in something and guess what you label yourself as? A failure. And guess what you believe you are in the morning? A failure. And all of a sudden you don't even have a sense of repentance. You have a sense of condemnation. And now you are what you did and you got distracted from what he did. And you're not even sure how to truly be sorry and repent and let truth change you. So you just mark yourself as a failure and then condemnation enters in. Next thing you know, you've lived two months and haven't even prayed or had intimacy with God because you've marked yourself apart from what he's done. Because what you've done is the real you. And you think it's truth because you did it. But your heart's grieved, which means it's not who you are or who you want to be. It's the mistake you made. And God can grow you up and out of that thing if you'll keep your eyes on him. Adam ran and put fig leaves on and hide from God. That is not the answer. We should know that by now. God came and said, what are you doing? Took off the fig leaves and dressed him himself with his own hands, made clothes and animal skins. Of course, he had to shed blood to get those skins in its blood covenant, but it's also righteousness. He robed them. If they woke up in fig leaves every day, what are they conscious of? The day they missed it. If they wake up in those animal skins, what are they thinking of? The day God forgave us and gave us a promise. What a father we have. And no matter how bad we missed it, he has remained the same. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) He might be my favorite. I shouldn't have a favorite, but man, he's right there. What shall we say then? Since sin abounds, grace abounds even more, and as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness. You have to understand that grace isn't an enablement for you to stay the same. Grace is empowerment for you to be changed. Don't misunderstand grace and make it what it's not, and don't get mad at grace and swing over here and get hardcore. It's always about grace. You're saved by grace. You are what you are by the grace of God. Without grace, you don't have a gospel. So just because men mispreach it, don't react. Don't swing a pendulum. 
There's people that say, oh, well, they say, oh, man, did I mess up and really give my wife a mouthful this morning? I really unloaded on her. Thank God for the grace of God. No, the grace of God keeps you from blowing up. Doesn't excuse you for blowing up. You're talking about mercy. Grace empowers you to change. So if you preach grace apart from transformation, you'll preach perversion. People say, oh, God just loves me for who I am. He loves you for what you're created to be and called to be. And don't you forget that. Yeah? I didn't find a way to sin and get away with it. I found a way to be free. I'm about ready to read it. Well, you'll never be free from sin. You probably ought to believe your Bible. Yeah? Is God a blasphemer? Let's read. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? Certainly not, exclamation point. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Here's my question. Do we even understand what he's talking about? Have we even been told this? Have we died to sin? Or did we just pray a prayer to make sure we go to heaven? Are we sincere and see we need forgiveness so now we receive him into our heart, but yet we still sin conscious and think our ability to sin makes us sinners? No, he said, how shall we who died to sin living it any longer. So if I don't preach that aspect of the gospel, I'm not even preaching the full gospel. It's true. Watch. Here's how I know it's true. How shall we who died to sin live it any longer? Watch. Or do you not know? Why is he saying that? Because some people don't know. Do you not know as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Well, what's his death? We'll read on and find out. But we were as many in Christ baptized into his death. Therefore, because this is true, we were buried with him through baptism into death. This water is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're not sprinkling them. We're putting them under. Why? Jesus went into the tomb, and they rolled the stone over the tomb. On his resurrection day, what did the angel do? Rolled the stone away, and that mighty Holy Spirit, according to the spirit of holiness, rose Jesus from the dead. Ain't that awesome? Yeah? Okay. So he died, was buried, and rose again. We all get that. Watch. We're buried in baptism in the death that just as Christ, just as, just as, you find me a limitation, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. This is amazing, guys. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, that's the third time he said it in three sentences, the baptized in the likeness of his death. Let's find out what it means. Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his. So it's not just about dying, it's about living. Whoa, this is amazing. Watch this, knowing this. Second time, you better know. Second time already, you better know. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. When he died, I died. When he rose, I rose with him. That's what faith says. Yay. Watch. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of Sin. Slaves. I looked up the word slaves. It means bound and chained to serve its will and testimony. You know that some people in an attempt to be humble bind and chain themselves to a testimony that Jesus took off of them? 
It's not a sin consciousness that reforms and changes your life. It's a righteous consciousness. It says if you're righteous in your understanding, it'll produce a fruit called holiness without you trying to be holy. That's called grace and he gets all the glory. Wow. Watch this. Knowing this. <laughs> that, that, that the body of sin would be done away with. We'd no longer be a slave to sin. Now watch in verse 7. This is amazing. See, I'm not sure we've been taught this, all of us. I, I think some of us just prayed a prayer to go to heaven. We just see our need for forgiveness and that's okay. But I don't know that we got this. For he who has died... He who has understood that I died to who I was so I could live in who he's created me to be and called me to be. Watch. He who has died has been freed from sin. You might have a translation that says cleared from sin. They mean the same exact thing. Freed and cleared. Same. Justified literally means just as if you've never sinned. Yeah. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. So tonight, Esther, you're not just dying, kiddo. You're coming up in a statement that I'm alive in him. These kids, oh my goodness, knowing third time you better know. That Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no dominion over him. Now here's the death we're baptized into. He explains it in verse 10. For he, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Look at verse 11. Likewise, oh, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nobody ever taught me that in my life. They taught me I was always going to sin. I'm damned to sin. They made it sound like I was constantly in a state of sin, but at least he paid the price to forgive me. So they left me a forgiven sinner. And I can't find that anywhere in the Bible, and I've read it many times. So what have we done? We've taken our own actions to define truth, and we haven't put faith in what he's able to do through his grace. And all of a sudden, if a man starts talking like this, we can't hardly hear what he's saying, because we're saying, is he saying he's perfect? What is he trying to say? He doesn't sin? I'm saying I don't even think about it. I think about righteousness and Christ in me and laying down my life. And if I would bump into something called human weakness, I turn and run to him and say, thank you, I am more than that thing. And that is not who I ever desire. And you and God and thank you. And all of a sudden, I'm closer in communion through it than I ever would be if it wouldn't have come. First John says, little children, I write these things to you. So you do not sin. Watch. But you got it. He didn't say, but when you do. But if you do. Why? Because he just separated you in chapter one from the consciousness of sin. And he said, I write these things so you do not sin because I changed your consciousness to righteousness and it empowers you. But if you do. Don't be disheartened. Don't get condemned. Don't turn inward. Don't draw back. 
You have an advocate. He's Jesus the righteous. And his righteous plea will find mercy before God. And not just for your sins, but the sins of the whole world. Doesn't he say that we're ambassadors to Christ? That God came through Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. And then he tells us to be the same towards men and reconcile them to God. What's that mean? Hey, your sin's fine. God's winking it away. It doesn't matter. He loves you anyway. No. What he said, you're more than that. You're more than sin in the flesh. You're more than those desires. You have a calling and a destiny and the spirit of God wants to come and live inside of you. He wants to push selfishness aside so Christ can reign in your life. You're so much more than what you've understood. That's called the gospel. Yeah, thank you. So you're not going to let sin reign in your mortal body, so you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. I'm not sure people are living this way. I've talked to a lot of people in my life. I ask a lot of questions when I counsel. I have found a large percent in the 90s say they have never said to God when they're alone, initiate her, Father, thank you for loving me. I so appreciate you washing me, cleansing me, purifying my life, seeing me apart from sin. Thank you for righteousness. They say, well, no, I never prayed that way. I don't even think that way. I'm just trying to do better, man. And then they're sure they're failing. So now they don't have a good view of themselves. So they feel unworthy. So they don't approach him because they don't know how he sees them because they don't see them good. And now they can't even have relationship even though they have the heart to. That's called deception, people. I've counseled a lot of folks, spent a lot of time one-on-one, and I found very few people in my life that have that relationship where they wake up and present themselves as members unto God, righteous in his sight, pure and clean and washed and free. Son, if you wake up and believe you're a son, washed in the blood guess what your life will start looking like sonship and people some people will say well I don't know who he thinks he is well he acts so self-righteous well he's so proud well he must think he's holier than thou that's what people will say sometimes and the truth is you just see who you've become through what he paid and you're not trying to make that statement at all their insecurity is interpreting that Their own unbelief is interpreting that because in your heart you're in love and you just thank him for what he's done and the goodness of God has changed your heart. Yeah, that's what happens, man. You wake up and believe you're a son. Guess what your life will look like? Sonship. (laughs) I like it. You know why I do that? Because they just might believe it. Bam! <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and if they don't, we've lost nothing. But if you don't sow, there ain't nothing going to grow. There ain't no farmer ever looked out the window. Hey, Mildred, I don't know where the corn is, girl. There ain't no corn. Well, Henry, I don't even remember you getting on the tractor, son. I don't remember you tilling no ground, putting no seed. I'm just believing. (laughs) Henry, 
Seed time and harvest time. First law in your Bible. If you don't sow, there ain't nothing going to grow. Now get on that tractor, boy. <laughs> People say, well, I want my city to change. I want my community to change. I wish my family would change. I wish my school would change. I will start sowing into it. Don't complain about it. Shine a light. Sow into it. If you don't sow into your community, why would you expect a harvest from the Lord? Because you prayed and interceded? They go hand in hand. If you love your city, you'll sow into her. The kingdom of God is if a man scatters seed. It doesn't say the kingdom of God is if a man intercedes. Intercession and sowing seed are hand in hand. If you love your city, you'll sow into your city. If you really love your family, you'll wake up to reveal who Christ is to them, not take them personal and fight back. If you really, well, I just love them. That's why I'm so hurt. <laughs> no, you're so hurt because you need to be loved by them. Get it straight. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Every day you wake up, Father, thank you for another day. And your members as instruments to righteousness to God. For sin's not going to have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Oh, what shall we say then? Just sin because we're under, not under the law, but under No, we already settled that. Do you not know that whom you present yourself a slave to obey, who you believe you are, is the very thing that you obey is going to be what you serve, right? That's what he's saying. Whatever you present yourself a slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey. Whether it's sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were a slave to sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart this form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Do you know people live their whole life in church and never get this doctrine? Their whole life in church and never get this doctrine. That was me. I was 20. I quit going to church because I was just a forgiven sinner and it broke my heart because I felt like there was no way I could change. And I'd watch an Easter story and see Jesus beaten and broken and I would cry on the inside because I felt like I had no ability or power to change. And I'd look and I actually believed he died for me and I felt like I was so far from worth that and I couldn't do anything about it and nobody was telling me that I could be changed. <laughs> they were telling me what I should and shouldn't do. They weren't telling me how to get there. <laughs> Two farmer friends comes over. I'll just use Henry again. Hey, Henry, I heard you became a Christian. That's right. I'm a Christian. Well, what makes you a Christian? Don't drink, don't smoke, and I don't run with the women. Well, then I guess my mule's a Christian. <laughs> Christian isn't what you do and don't do. A 
Christian is what you become. And your being decides your doing. Yeah? Watch this. You know them by their fruits. We always say that one. A good tree can't bear. But a bad tree can't bear. So Jesus comes and says, a good tree can't bear bad fruit. And everybody instantly becomes a fruit inspector. And goes, they start evaluating their own lives. And when that looks ugly, they look at their neighbor's lives. Well, I ain't the only bad apple in the orchard, brother. A good tree can't bear. Wow, people freak out. Ah! They find a bad fruit and say, well, then I can't be a good tree because that's what he said. But then he says, a bad tree can't bear. And then you go, wait a minute, though. Not everything in my life is a throwaway. I've received change. There's areas in my life where I'm not the same. Not everything is just busted up. I see this bad thing. I see this thing I've ignored. But oh my goodness, I got a lot of change in my life. I don't know what he's saying. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, but a bad tree can't bear good fruit. I feel like I got both of them on my tree. He says, therefore, you know them by the fruits. But actually in that section he says, in Matthew he says, so make a tree good and its fruit will be. Make a tree and its fruit will be. What's he talking about? He's not talking about fruit the whole time. He's talking about tree. The fruit's like a secondary, what is it called? The pronoun? Help me, I'm not an English teacher. What's the main noun in the sentence? He's ta- the whole time he's talking about tree and all we hear is fruit. What's he saying? If you know who you are, your life will reveal it. And if people tell you who you are, it will transform your production. That's all he's saying. And we go, ah, try harder. Why? Because we're sincere. Make a tree and its fruit will be. Make a tree and its fruit will be. What's he saying? Did you ever see an apple tree sitting out there going, apple, come on. I know. Oh. Ah, I knew I was an apple tree. (laughs) Why does an apple tree produce an apple? This isn't rocket science. Don't get too smart for this stuff. Why does an apple produce, an apple tree produce an apple? Because it's an apple tree. Guess when it was an apple tree? In the seed. So if you don't know who you are, you'll try to prove it through your works. But if you know who you are, your life will reveal it. And your fruit will define what you see. This thing is not complicated. Did you ever see an apple tree sitting out there going, oh, and then looking to see if the other apples were brighter, bigger, shinier? Apple tree, 
lest the seed dies and falls to the ground and abides alone. Do you know what Jesus was? A seed. And he reproduces after his own kind. And you got this thing called the enemy on the earth and he's the devil and he's real and the Bible talks about him and we're not promoting him and we're not honoring him. We're just not unaware of him or ignorant to him because he's not dumb like people think. He's actually very smart and he's sure he understands you. And he honestly doesn't even, if you really read scripture, he doesn't even believe you love God. He just thinks you need God. And there's a difference. He's out to prove it. You better make sure he's not right. Yeah? So he gets on to this thing and he says, hmm, God made man on the earth to live inside of them and manifest through them and cover the earth with his glory. So God's out to reproduce himself through his people and manifest himself on the earth. I know what I'll do. I'll trick them. I'll deceive them. They'll follow me instead of him. I'll sit on the highest throne and I'll be God. So he loves when he can trick people into looking like him when they were made for the similitude of God. He feeds on it. When you're angry, he loves that. When you're offended and frustrated and judgmental and presumptuous and proud, he loves it. Why? Because he feels like he's winning because he's reproducing who he is through people made in the similitude of God. He loves when you throw a fit of rage and anger and then go to church and holy hush and never can express nothing in the Lord. But you let somebody pull out in front of you. And all of a sudden you have this charismatic worship service. of the wrong one. Oh, this is real. The Lord spoke to me 23 and a half years ago. I'm 24 years saved. He said, don't you give yourself to these things. It's a twisted expression of worship of the wrong one. He loves to try to make you look like him because you're made for my image. I heard it in my heart, reading my Bible, cried, got prostrate before the Lord and began to empty myself and stood up and put on Christ like the scripture says, tender mercies, loving kindness, peacemaking, gentleness, forbearance. It's called Christianity. Nothing else really is. If you enjoyed this message, please visit danmolerarchive.com to find over 2,500 more messages from Dan, all organized by category, playlist, and search. Enjoy. Enjoy.